0: Radio studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center.
1: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Is there anything now that you didn't think yesterday, but now you're saying, I'm going to do this? This is the change that's going to happen next. So, for me, it reinforces my commitment to the uh, climate change, to the environment. Uh, I think if you look at it, too, about we have too much vilification in society today and not enough unity. So we need unifiers, not vilifiers. And when you look out at the planet, there are no borders. There's nothing. It's one planet, and we share it, and it's fragile.
2: That's Jeff Bezos, who, having been close to space for 60 seconds, has a totally different view of the world now. And mankind and our role in it and something or something or
0: well, other. Well, he's a little fired up and enthusiastic, and, and, and some of that's a little... Uh, well, imagine there are no countries. John lennon But But uh, he's also right, of course. Well, it's yeah, just that no. there are powerful, powerful forces making lots of profit off of partisanship and, and, and conflict.
2: No, he is right. But uh, the fact that he, I don't think he had a life-changing experience in that 10, ten minutes he just went up in the air and I can see how you know the astronauts talking back in the day about going to the moon and you spend three days in outer space and looking at the Earth from three hundred thousand miles away, etc., and all that. Yeah, I I, would, uh, I can see how that would have an effect on you. I'm not sure his yeah. ten minute up and down. Uh changed his entire view of everything
0: that's interesting i'm not nearly as cynical and bitter and and hateful as you Uh, that was probably prejudicial um i i I see it differently because i think you can have a flash of an insight or have something really reinforced in a very very short time on the other hand not all insights are are true i mean because there are no borders from space There aren't. We're all inhabitants of this planet together. We need to be working together. Okay, super. We have a a, a precious uh, metals mine right here. The people next door keep trying to come and steal it, and they kill the people guarding it. So we're going to go ahead and have a border, and if they try to come and do it again, we're going to shoot them. So once you get into the realities of humankind, you start to understand why you know politics, uh, politics, broadly speaking, government is what it is.
2: How come it used to be I paid extra for the next day delivery, got here the next day. Now sometimes it gets here the next day, and there's no apology or money back. That's what I'd ask him about space. Oh, you know what just dawned on me?
0: He looked down at Texas and said there's no border. That's what he meant. Mm. As people pour across by the millions... And the Biden administration says, uh, we're studying it. Uh, you can't finish that wall. Uh, Trump, uh, build bridges, not walls. Uh, racism, blah, blah, blah. Unbelievable.
2: We like Jonathan Turley around here, law professor, George Washington University. Uh, he's usually on, I think, ABC with George Stephanopoulos. He's a
0: Fox News correspondent for a long time, or and, a uh, contributor.
2: And they throw him on Fox a lot. Um He's tweeting today about the attention Hannah Nicole Jones has gotten toward this um, advocacy journalism thing. So she's uh, she's the one that wrote the 1619 project, won the Pulitzer Prize. Then a whole bunch of historians, including lefty historians, tore apart her piece. She had to issue a bunch of retractions. Actually, they didn't. They just they retracted things in the dead of night and pretended they were never there. That's mostly Mm -hmm. what they did on The New York Times. Anyway, she's writing today um, about how all journalism is activism and that's what journalism should be and Jonathan Turley's just trying to kind of like you know alert people like me hey this is what the new world of journalism is so if you're still stuck on the old idea that uh, you know Walter Cronkite on the evening news on CBS in the 80s his goal. Um, and we've talked to his producer about this. His goal was to have a non-biased newscast every single night. That's what their goal was. New York Times, their goal used to be to to be non-biased. 60 minutes, their goal was, even if they weren't always, didn't always pull it off, that was their goal. That's no longer the goal. The goal is to, to have a side and push that side best you can. And if you have to ignore certain facts to back up your argument, um, or shade them a little bit, or leave things out. Uh, the, from the other side, you do that. And, or, or,
0: you know, conversely, if you have some quote-unquote evidence that really supports your side, doesn't matter who said it or if you can, you know, get a second source or verify the truth of it. Forget
2: it, please. But, who has the time? I'll just read his tweets a little bit. The opposition to Hannah Jones was based on her historical er- errors in the 1619 Project and criticism over her alleged biased journalism. Well, now Hannah Jones writing a long piece is removing any doubt about her view of journalism she has de- declared all journalism is activism in other words her shading her story and leaving things out that's what journalism is to her and a lot of people of her ilk um that's w- that's what i'm doing i'm writing an opinion piece to try to convince people of things what are you ta- why are you why are you concerned about this well you-
0: and if she sees herself as a litigator Even as she poses it as a journalist, it's permissible to say things that are just untrue Sure, to get your cause passed.
2: He goes on to say, reporters now claim a greater and greater license to frame news to illustrate the truth as they see it. They insist that they have to tell the truth about society and politics as they see it. Hannah Jones is a great example of how this new journalism has quickly become raw advocacy. And I need to catch on to and other people need to catch on to that. That's just where we are now. And it was that way back in the, what, the early part of the the, the country. You would have outlets that basically was just all opinion pieces. Then there'd be another outlet with their opinion pieces, and I guess we'd debate it out that way. Um, I I still get stuck in the mindset every single day of thinking that from reading a news story, the point is to bring me the facts, all the facts, both sides, fairly. But that is And let you decide. That is not the point anymore, and I need need to grow up to that, because it's just true. Things have changed.
0: Yeah, yeah, there was a golden age of a pretty reasonable journalism in the 20th century, but it's Maybe over now. Maybe
2: this works better. I don't know. But, but, but my side has to wake up to it and realize, okay, now you need to do the same thing. And get better at it. And be or at least as good at it. Uh, the, the problem being
0: that certain types of people uh, with certain types of abilities just seem to find their way to different uh, professions. There are overwhelmingly conservative Marines. There are overwhelmingly liberal so-called journalists, wordsmiths, writers of various sorts. It's just, for whatever reason, humanity works that way. You you get few poets who like to box. They're just not that sort of people. (laughs) Right. Um and and unfortunately those who manage the words those who manage our, our networks and our entertainment and our colleges all swing ninety percent left so where does that leave the rest of us I don't know scrapping and clawing and
2: holding on to talk radio as long as we can you know if I had had simply safe at my rental I probably would have had a camera on whoever spray painted the front of my house over the weekend but I didn't have simply safe at that time in my new rental because I haven't lived there very long. I'm going to order Simply Safe. This is what you do. You go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. You click around. It takes you about two minutes to customize a system on the website to fit your home. It's going to come to my house. I'm going to set it up myself in about 30 minutes. Nobody's going to come to my home. And then I've got all the protection I want. And we're talking police, fire, medical, whatever you need. And it's less expensive.
0: It's better. It's simpler than your conventional home security system. Simply Safe is terrific. Protect from fire, burglary, medical emergency, whatever. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Get a free security camera. See somebody stealing your bike. You also get a 60 day risk free trial. So there's nothing to lose that simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Actually, if they try to steal your bike, the alarm will go off and you can bust them. Simplysafe.com
2: slash Armstrong. Get that free camera. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. A White House official and a staff member for Nancy Pelosi have tested positive for COVID. Now, Nancy Pelosi um, is vaccinated, I'm sure.
1: Good morning. She's, she's also crazy old. She's
2: very, very old. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so anyway.
0: Well, well, I, you know what? I, I am on to the idea that the COVID-19 is one of those respiratory illnesses that will kick around, it'll go away, it'll come back again every fall, we'll see more cases, a uh, uh, uh a number of people will die, and it will be very sad that they do, but it is here. It is here for good, and we need to live our lives. We need to run our economy. We need to educate our children and quit being a bunch of freaking scaredy cats. It, oh, by the way, I think you ought to get vaccinated, too. I understand people are pretty skeptical. Can we play uh the clip number 15? It's uh, Dr. Siegel, who's frequently on Fox News. He makes a good point that I'd kind of spaced off 15 it's been in the work since the 1990s. This vaccine has been based on research since the 90s at the NIH in Germany at Pfizer. This is not new at all. And as a matter of fact, the way I look at it is this. The smallpox vaccine was way more dangerous because it actually used a live virus to wipe out smallpox on the planet. This is just instigating a protein to make a response. It's less rather than more. And now it's been tried in hundreds of millions of people completely safe. And you have to have that discussion doctor to patient can't be a politician it's got to be doctor to patient are there rare side effects yeah there seem to be are there people who died after getting it but it's not clear that they died of it yeah there there seem to be uh, but again if you're looking for a zero risk proposition you know keep looking it doesn't exist in life but okay i hear you well i'm at practically zero risk of the COVID, so why would i roll the dice Again, fine. That's up to you. That is up to you, and I totally respect your decision. But do not change my kids' education because of that. Do not change what I'm supposed to be doing day by day based on
2: that. Let everybody live their lives. In other words, let's get it on. This new one though, the Delta, it spreads so fast and so easy. Isn't everybody going to get it? Won't it go away? Or just damn there. Won't it just go away because there's nobody to infect? Yeah, I think so, probably, yeah. Because uh, Gottlieb's, Dr. Scott Gottlieb's every the weekend, you're either going to get the vaccine or you're going to get the Delta. That's just, that's how easy it spreads. We've got somebody here. Uh, Alex is being quarantined right now. He hasn't gotten his test back yet. He's being quarantined right now for it. But I think everybody's going to get it. So I'm not sure how it can hang around if everybody gets it. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly. I don't think everybody.
0: everybody's going to get the it.
2: The flu doesn't work that way. Everybody doesn't get the flu. Does not spread that easily,
0: yeah, well, if things peter out and like go elsewhere when you get to a certain percent of the population that's got immunity, and it's not a hundred percent, so that twenty percent or twenty five percent that remains uh unimmune, maybe they get it next year, but if they're not immunocompromised, they're not old, they're not sick already, they'll be fine anyway in overwhelming uh percentages by overwhelming percentages.
2: More news coming out of that press conference in Tokyo in in which one of the organizing chiefs said that last-minute cancellation of the Tokyo Olympics has not been ruled out. Oh, my. uh, I don't know if they misspoke, but uh, a lot of people are buzzing about that. Certainly a good excuse
0: to come back with the Blue Oyster Cult classic Godzilla, Michael.
2: (laughs) Next segment. I I don't think that plays a role in canceling the Olympics. Godzilla has been seen off far, not far off the coast. Where is Kong? You think they're going to say it if he's spotted off the coast and then
0: have the panic?
2: It's an excellent point. Right. They wouldn't tell us. Right. Huh. Oh, no. There goes Tokyo. Go, go, Godzilla. One of the most reasonable members of the Senate yesterday said that uh doing away with the filibuster is on the table. Shut so, up. Uh, yeah. Stop it. Who was it? Name names. Among other things coming up.
1: What you can do with infrastructure, which is not in the bipartisan package, and I'm glad they're continuing to negotiate and make
0: progress, what you can do is put election infrastructure in there. You could tie it to certain things as incentives for states to do uh, same-day registration,
1: to do the mail-in balloting.
2: Human infrastructure—they call this a new package—and now they're throwing around a term called election infrastructure. <laughs> infrastructure meant for a long, a long time we just meant roads and bridges, but now there's all—it's it's, uh, babysitting for your kid, or uh, expanding how long you can vote—all part of infrastructure. But that was Amy Klobuchar. Maybe you recognize her voice. Senator from Minnesota, ran for president. She also said over the weekend that she is starting to consider an end to the filibuster a necessity. For the Senate, so you are getting more Democrats. You still need uh, everybody on board to actually get rid of the rule. But that, you know, if you are not super into this sort of stuff, the the simple version is: uh, right now, you basically need sixty votes to pass anything big. Big. If they do away with the filibuster, you'll only need fifty. So, if you've got fifty votes, if you've got the majority, you could pass anything. Has she explained her stance? Have you heard it? Just that the Republicans are so. Uh, difficult to deal with.
0: Yeah, Anyhow. yeah. Likewise, the Democrats who used the filibuster over and over again before they had the majority. Uh, I, uh, the argument that I've heard, in case you're curious, and Jack, feel free to uh, agree, disagree, or whatever, is that, um, it used to be everybody was so collegial and, and decent in the Senate, mostly, that they wouldn't filibuster something unless they felt really, really strongly about it. And then you would, you would chip away at it and come to a compromise to the point that you got 60 people oh, I think who say, yeah, let's go ahead and vote on
2: it. I think that's true, but
0: we're way down the road from those days. But now you just, you stop anything the other guys want to do.
2: Mm-hmm. And by everybody doing that, we've gotten to the era of power politics where if you just plain have the majority, you ram through whatever you want.
0: Yeah, Kirsten Cinema, the Democrat from Arizona, who I remember during the campaign was portrayed as a lunatic, way radical leftist. Turns out she's as moderate as they come, uh, at least on the Democratic side. Uh, she wrote a really good piece in the For Wop, a woman
2: who wears thigh-high boots and engages in uh, sex with all uh, manner of uh, gender, she is a very... uh centrist in politics my my
0: look at you in your your puritan hat and your pilgrim shoes uh anyway uh she wrote a great piece in the wapo talking about we don't want policy to veer wildly back and forth from way right to way left every single administration there's no way to run a country and she's right but i don't know if there's any stopping it or if there are enough people who agree with her it's raw power politics, like you said.
2: You know, I heard an interesting thing on a podcast yesterday, which I'd never really thought of from, uh, I don't know if you know who Yuval Levin is. He's a writer. He's one of the great thinkers on, um, uh, you know, this sort of stuff. Really um, is an impressive guy, yeah. Read some of his books. But anyway, he was talking about how the Constitution wasn't designed to have good policy outcomes. I mean, you hope for that, and sometimes you get them, and sometimes you don't. It was designed to hold the dang hold the whole dang thing together to hold this together so that we could have a republic, so that we could have a government that at least is partial, you know, a government who who derives their power from the people. Holding that together was all they're trying to do. Policy outcomes, you know, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. And uh, we often forget that, I think. Well, and the filibuster is not part of the Constitution.
0: Correct. It's part of Senate rules. They can change it if they like. It's just a question of whether they should. Not everything you can do is something you should do, but I don't know. You know, I, I try. If you worry, you suffer twice. I, I do worry about the country. I worry about our politics. I worry about our people. But I try not to worry about it too much because it makes me insane when I do. So, mask mandates are back, not without controversy. Perhaps coming to a county near you. Plus, got to get to that demographic study: the number of people who have no kids, don't want any kids, they will never have any kids. The the number is shockingly
2: high. I didn't go in a store yesterday, just yesterday, who uh, has mask mandates. I'm not going in. I'm not spending my money there. So, you know, you get to do what you want to do. I get to do what I want to do. But I'll go somewhere else where they don't make me wear a mask as a vaccinated person.
0: Armstrong and Getty.
2: Bell is warning of menu disruptions caused by a shortage of ingredients. How do you run out of feral cats? <laughs> Humor.
0: Humor, attorneys for Taco Bell. Parody, not meant seriously.
2: <laughs> One of our bosses pointed out, Drew Hayes, texted that the Democrats used the filibuster 327 times last year. Oh, yeah. Nearly once every workday. Uh, So if if
0: one-tenth of what is said in politics was sincere, I would be surprised. I think it's probably significantly less than that.
2: And this story is continuing to uh, evolve. And I said this all last year. It drove me crazy. Every time people would talk about the United States as having the worst outcome of COVID in the entire world. Okay, well, we're the third biggest country, so we should have... By proportion, the third biggest number. Um, And secondly, I'm not sure your stats are right. Well, more is coming out about India. New York Times, the death toll from the coronavirus pandemic in India is so far likely to exceed 3 million, nearly 10 times the official figure, making it the worst human tragedy in the nation's history, according to a comprehensive new study. Yeah, they got no idea how many people died in India, and they probably never will. But it's we've had 600,000, they've had 3 million So all your crap of, because of Trump, we have the most deaths of any country in the world. No, we don't. And anybody thinking about it for 10 seconds knew that wasn't true last year.
0: Right, right. Well, back to the advocacy journalism thing. Saying things that are half true or utterly untrue or leaving out that which is true is now part of mainstream media practice. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. I keep saying I'm going to get to stuff that I keep coming up uh, with really good stuff. Maybe I'll hang on to this, but uh, Matt How do you run out
2: of feral cats, I said. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Matt Taibbi, uh, with a, a, a new piece, he puts out more ver- verbiage than anybody I've ever known. NPR, brilliant. NPR's brilliant self-own. They're complaining about a me- media figure who tells people what their opinions should be and uses political buzzwords. <laughs> They're condemning somebody for that at NPR.
2: Why, that is truly, truly hilarious. I wish I had the desire to write. The idea of being a writer sounds fantastic to me, but I have no desire to write. I don't like it. It's too hard. I don't like it. You have to. You have to like. You have to be compelled to do it. Yeah, I know. To be good I at know. it, and I'm not compelled to do it. I'm compelled to lay down.
0: <laughs> we're we're the same in that way. As I've said many times, I'm a man who craves leisure, and writing is challenging. <laughs> Second, fertility rates in the United States have plunged to record lows. I'm sure you've heard that before. It could be related to the fact that more people are choosing not to have children. How do you like that sentence? (laughs) That's not the point of the article, though, that brilliant realization.
2: Speaking of being compelled, I I, I don't believe that people choose to or don't choose to have children. I think there's something way bigger that goes on than that. You do. Biologically, uh, you, you mean yeah, neurologically? Yeah. I think there's something way stronger that's happening with the beast um, than everybody's decided not to have children. I don't think that's the case. I think that is there is some of that in there. There's certainly some of that. Like, we decided specifically to have two as opposed to three. I mean, we discussed that. Mm -hmm. But the being childless versus not, I don't think there's as much decision making as people give themselves credit for. There's something going on with either population or a a number of other avenues of entertainment available or something that's taken away the overwhelming desire to procreate. Well, some people cite porn, there are uh,
0: hormones in the water supplies, and uh, the frogs have uh, both sets of genitals, and the rest of it, and uh, just I think we're messing with our our body chemistry. Hmm. So I, I, there are probably several factors going on here, but the national <clears throat> national fertility data provided by the U.S. Census and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Tend to lump together all adults who aren't parents, making it difficult to understand how many people identify as child-free. And people who are studying this have realized that the methodology is probably not right, and they need to change it uh, to better understand what's happening. Again, that makes it difficult to identify trends if you change your your collection, uh, yep. well, your methodology. But sometimes you just have to. But this group of social scientists did a study of a thousand people in Michigan, uh, which is uh, Michigan is a very It looks like America.
2: It looks Uh, like a mitten.
0: Well, it looks like America and a mitten, Jack, in that uh, just uh, demographically, uh, ages, racially, et cetera, uh, Michigan represents the United States very well. But in a recent study of a 1,000 people, we found that over one in four Michigan Michigan adults did not want biological or adopted children and were therefore child-free, had no plans to have them, et cetera. One in four. Previous studies had placed the percentage between 2 and 9%. So they think the birth rate is going to continue plunging.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And there's nothing you can do to turn it around. I don't believe. Because, like I said, there's something going on that's much bigger. It's not as much a conscious decision, I don't think. And so there's there's something big going on, some forces happening. And no, uh, it's not going to turn around anytime soon.
0: One of my favorite Dire Straits songs. you remember the song, the band Dire Straits? Uh, Sultan's a the Swing, their, their gigantoid hit, and several other. They had a song called Industrial Disease, which I thought was pretty interesting. And uh, whatever this is that causes populations to start to depopulate, I think it is a complex stew of things that are related to industrialization, economic development, wealth,
2: and, and the rest of it. Yeah, I, I think it's got a lot to do with wealth and security um, I was reading some Dickens over the weekend. I'm gonna get on a Dickens kick, I think. Why, they little Dickens. Charles Dickens, the writer, who I just learned. Well, I'll save this for later. I learned something amazing about Charles Dickens. But, you know, he's writing about the, 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 the his fiction was very close to nonfiction. I mean, it was a description of what was going on in, in, in England at the time, in London at the time. People were poor as dirt. I mean, their lives were miserable in all kinds of different ways. And they were cranking out kids, mm-hmm. so this whole "you can't afford to have a kid today because rents are too high." Give me a freaking break! People, yeah, people were cranking out kids left and right when their kids were going to go work in a factory at age six. Yeah. So the the idea of that your rent's too high, so you're not having a kid. That's not that. I think
0: there probably is some, and this is probably like way deep in the programming. We may never find it somewhere deep within us. Is is a is a switch that recognizes either. We need uh, well, I was going to say it's an either or it's a A, B, but it's probably not. It's probably a range of things we need to repopulate a lot. And on the other end is we really don't need to repopulate. So if you want to have a kid, go ahead. But deep in our brain, we're getting this message.
2: Yeah, I think something like that. I think so. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, you know, in the 1970s, we were probably right around in the the middle of that continuum right after World War Two. When there was some people would suggest a boom in babies, uh, having <laughs> lost millions of people in the greatest cataclysm known to mankind, everybody's uh, the deep brain uh, you know setting said, "Have kids, have kids, have kids." because we do instinctively as a species we needed to.
2: Yeah, I like that's what I mean. Something like that is happening in all advanced societies where we're stopping having kids, so that's what's going on. And
0: when the aliens come and mow us down with their ray guns and only a plucky band of survivors remains, they'll get after it like crazy. Are you kidding?
2: If the cave is rocking, don't bother knocking. A plucky band of survivors. Here's what I learned about Charles Dickens that I did not know. He was... Um Uh, Some people believe he is the first worldwide celebrity to the extent that anybody knew what was going on in the world at that time because of his fiction. But before that happened, as a very young man, he was the best person known in England as a nonfiction writer. He was the most respected, best known uh, reporter on Parliament for all the newspapers there. When he was 24 years old, Mm -hmm. he was the most famous, powerful political journalist in London. He wrote way more words of non-fiction than he wrote of fiction, and I just thought that was interesting. It wasn't until he got older that he decided he wasn't making much money reporting on Parliament and turned his attention toward fiction, and then it really took off and made him a, a giant, giant star.
0: One of our beloved listeners recommended a book to me. Uh, I think it is Charles Dickens. Uh, oh, no, no. The Man Who Invented Christmas. Is the name of it Hmm. it's about charles dickens writing a christmas carol and how that book was so incredibly popular it 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 really popularized the idea of you know the, the goose and the presents and the tree and the dancing and the wassail and the rest of it when that was really fading away in fact it was looked down upon by the church at that time in england but it also goes into his career and 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 his ups and downs and he wrote a bunch of failures you know after he'd had some giant hits uh, but it's a really interesting book, The Man Who Invented Christmas, uh, if you're into that sort of thing. But
2: by God, life was miserable for a lot of people back then. Oh, just yeah. utterly miserable. Well, Dickens himself applied like radioactive something
0: or other to boots when he was 12, for, like 12 <laughs> hours a day. I can't right. remember. Some sort of ink or something, but it had mercury in it, and it's just horrible. He'd stare out the window and just imagine things as his long, long workday stretched on
2: at age frickin' twelve. And people were cranking out kids like I said, like crazy. So this whole idea of who'd bring a child into this world now—I think we need to get over this idea that we're rational actors in this. We're not. There's something going on beast-wise. Mm. beast-wise. At least the beast. Anyway, always interested in your opinion. Four one five two nine five 295 kftc is the text line. Four one five two nine five kftc World's richest man kind of went into space today. I don't know. He went up like... He went towards space. He went towards space like 150 feet and uh, and landed back on the ground.
0: Hey, by the way, if you weren't a guy who doesn't want to write because it's too much work, uh, BeastWise could be your new like website and your self-help stuff and your vitamin supplements and you have seminars around the country. Just saying, you know, return to the Beast, you know, be for men and women. Exactly. Embrace your inner beast.
2: Absolutely, and I'd wear tank tops all the time.
0: You'd huh? come out there with your Britney Spears mic, your and your, and your tank top on. I'm
2: say, really, really tan, like crazy.
0: How are tan? you, beasts? Doing the crowd? <laughs> <laughs> you'd be like Jordan Peterson, but hairier.
2: Like uh, Tom Cruise was in Magnolia, kind of exactly. like that kind of a guy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, more of uh, other stuff on the way. Have we heard any more from Jeff Bezos now that he's had his? His amazing going into space experience, what it's what the way he looks at the world now. Changed everything, man. We're we're all on this blue marble together, man. We're sharing it in
0: space. We've got to attack global warming and tear down the borders. Always global warming. And then your package will get there eventually. Right, <laughs> man, It's all together. Quit yelling at me.
1: The Armstrong and Getty Show. Jeff Bezos, you are an astronaut now. How does it feel? It's amazing. You know, uh, there are no words. Uh, It was a perfect mission. Uh, We were, I don't, I'm not talented enough to put this into words. The accelerating G-forces and how that felt your skin pulled back and pushed into the seat. And then zero G comes so suddenly and then you're just floating. My brother pointed out in the car back that it's kind of, feels like we're almost involved. It's, it's like surprisingly natural. It's to like effortless, to in zero you two. feel yeah. comfortable. It's not weird at all. It's very nice.
2: Oh, that was kind of interesting. Um, huh. Jeff Bezos, a billionaire who went into space on his own rocket today, he's on a standstill. So he went up three hours ago, and he's still answering questions. How long can you answer questions about a 12-minute mission in which you were in space for like 40 seconds? I went up with an old lady, a kid, and my brother, and I came back. What else do you need to know?
0: We're up high. You can see the world. It was kind of interesting. Next, <laughs> well, and, and the whole uh, being weightless for a while. They, people have been doing that for a long time. I, you know, it's it's a technical achievement. You got a private company, yeah. uh, very efficiently and inexpensively designed stuff. Now they've got the reusable boosters. It's
2: not nothing. It's just it's not it's not quite the second coming. So this is an interesting place. To hear this point of view opinion piece in the Washington Post today from Hugh Hewitt, who a lot of our listeners probably listen to regularly. He's a conservative and, uh, he and Adam Carolla do a bunch of stuff together. And, but he's saying a misplaced sense of virus complacency is falling into place in the United States. And he's urging those who haven't been vaccinated to get vaccinated. Um, and he's making the main argument, um, about what we don't know, the unknown, un, uh, well, I'll just read his... Why, why would I characterize it when yeah, I can just read what he... cut meant. it out! What we don't know, the known unknown, as the late Donald H. Rumsfeld memorably put it, is how many more variants will arrive... And whether one or more will not only defeat the vaccines that exist, but also prove deadlier and more contagious than the first wave. We just don't know. We're acting as though that's not a real possibility. We're acting just as we did in January 2020 when we first heard about this and ignored it. Um, if the virus mutates to versions yet unseen, will it strike at young people as measles did? Or healthy young adults as the 1918 flu did? Will the influenza did? Will the methods of research pioneered under Operation Warp Speed prove um, effective again or not? Scientists say probably, but few say certainly, and they don't know. The smart folks know still other variants are on the way, perhaps so many, as to require use of uh, an entirely new vaccine. You know, that's a decent argument from Hugh Hewitt, and I'm hoping that you're more willing to listen to him say it than you are somebody on CNN, but... Man, we let this thing exist and morph into other variants. At some point, it starts striking healthy people, and the vaccines don't work. Then we got a real problem on our hands.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the old sports expression, you let the other team hang around.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is exactly right. Yeah. You didn't put it away when you had the chance. We're up up 3-1. Let's close this series out. And not uh, let the variant hang around and uh, stretch it into seven games. When who knows going happen? Yeah, let's not be
0: dicking around in game four. Yeah, I, I agree completely.
2: Yeah, it's it's hard. I understand completely
0: why people are so distrustful. You know of the you, institutions.
2: You know, okay. You're gonna hate me for saying this, but when Go I hear, when I hear that argument, I'm starting to think the government has more of a role in making people get this dang vaccine. I would like to hear some smart scientists talk about this. What Hugh Hewitt was just describing there. How quickly it! um, How many variants have we had in the last year and a half? And it's just a matter of time if we let it hang around before the really bad one uh, develops, and then we're screwed. I almost dropped an f bomb, but the whole world could be screwed. Yeah, yeah, and
0: millions of people could die. Uh, On the other hand, compelling people to get medical treatment as adults uh, is—it's a very controversial thing. I'm not sure I want my government to have that power. Because I know they will abuse it.
2: Well, they're, they're a court, so uh, UC system in California is making everybody, you have to get vaccinated before you're allowed to come back to the campus. Kid or somebody who works there. College well, kid a judge or somebody just ruled there. that Indiana can do that yeah. with their colleges. And so yeah. Indiana was doing it, and somebody challenged it, and a judge said, no, you can do that. So more businesses, more schools say you have to be vaccinated. That's how you get more people vaccinated. I know a lot of you really hate that, but... Man, oh, man, a mutation that hits kids or a mutation that the vaccine doesn't work on? Oof. I want to avoid that at all costs. I agree with Hugh Hewitt, on this. Yeah, I do, too. Well, I got vaccinated the
0: first day I could, so my attitudes about it are, are fairly well-known, and, and I don't regret it and never have for a what second. What a
2: mistake for human humankind it would be if we let this thing uh, morph into something else. Of course... You could make the argument that even if we get, you know, it's kind of like global warming. We can do everything we want in the United States, but if the rest of the world is not up to speed, it's going to morph anyway, and it'll come back to the United States, right? Yeah. I mean, actually, that's a great point. (laughs) If you're you're talking about a mutation that the vaccines don't work on, that's going to show up in India or Peru or or Japan, where 3% of the people are vaccinated. That's where it's going to show up.
0: South Africa has had, uh, oh, I just saw these numbers. I can't remember. Uh, just proportionately per, per 100,000, their number of deaths make the U.S. look like nothing right. happened.
2: So I just argued Press. myself back out of my own position. Excellent. We should not force people to get the vaccine because the mutations are going to happen somewhere else anyway.
0: Maybe. We certainly hope not. I hope not either. Yeah, I I've, I've got to admit I've got a bit of a fatalistic outlook of the whole thing at this point. Humans are going to do what humans are going to do. And we can we can push a little bit. Uh, we as a radio show, we as a society, we as a government, we as the the WHO or whatever. You can you can alter the outcome a little bit, but I've got a, a bit of a what's going to happen is going to happen uh feeling about the deal and frankly I'm tired arguing about it. Yeah. I'll probably have more energy for it tomorrow, but, oh, I was reading about the new mask mandates everywhere and how regardless of vaccination status, why won't they just say, because we can't trust you to be honest about your vaccination status, so everybody's got to wear a mask.
2: So that's what the mask mandates are about? They're afraid that people that aren't vaccinated are not wearing the masks and coming in their store, which they certainly are. It's almost got to be that, yeah. Okay. I mean, why else
0: would you say regardless of vaccination status? That's idiotic.
2: It is idiotic. (laughs) You're right. We don't trust you, so wear a mask. Right. I get it.
0: Armstrong and Getty.